Thank you, team, for uh, leading us in such great high praise today. And um, I'm not going to waste any time because most of you know the man that's going to come and speak to us today. Um, some of you who don't and you don't know him and haven't experienced him, you're in for a treat. I just want to introduce to you um, the founder of Nothing is Wasted Ministries and the Pain to Purpose podcast and ministry and my son-in-law, Davey Blackburn. Let's welcome him to the platform right now. Okay, ready? Well, how we doing? Good. Yeah, you sure? Yeah. You guys good? Man, it's, it's uh, coming up on Holy Week, Palm Sunday. What an honor it is to be here with you guys. I'm so excited about today. Feels like coming home today just to be with you, First Baptist family. Did you guys know that God's moving here? Yeah. Come on, you know God's moving here? Yeah. Uh, let me tell you how I know God's moving here. Last week, I was preaching in Denver, Colorado, and I decided to take a couple days to ski Friday and Saturday, because you're in Colorado, why not, right? Saturday, I get on the first chair of the day, and there's three of us guys, and there's a guy who kind of jumps in with us, because it's a four-person chair, and, um, and he begins to ask us for some advice. He's like, it's my first time skiing in Colorado. Uh, he was actually on a board. He's like, first, my, first time boarding. We're like, oh yeah, where do you normally uh, board at? He said, uh, kind of Michigan area, it's kind of my home, slopes. Can we call it that, home slopes? No, you got, Michigan's got some good, some good skiing. It's not Colorado, but it, you know, it is what it is. And uh, I said, well, where are you from? He said, I'm from Northern Indiana. I said, oh, yeah, what, what part? You know, I'm curious. And we're all masked up, you know? I mean, everything except our nose is covered because it's freezing cold. And I'm like, well, yeah, what part? He goes, Elkhart. I said, Now, Elkhart, Elkhart's not huge, you know, I know that. So, and, uh, and I do know that this church has a reputation of God moving and stirring in big ways. So people have heard of First Baptist Church, I'm sure of. So I go, hey, have you ever heard of First Baptist Church? He goes, oh my gosh, man, I just started going there. <laughs> he said, I just actually gave my life to the Lord there a few weeks ago, got saved. <laughs> so here's the deal. I told, I told him I was gonna be here. I don't know if he's, gonna, if he's in this service or next service. I'm, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Tyler, are you here? Raise your hand if you're here at this service. Okay, maybe not. So maybe you'll be in the next service or he's just like slumping in his seat right now. <laughs> but man, can we praise the Lord for a new family member, the kingdom of God? When you're on a ski slope in Denver, well, in Breckenridge, Colorado, and you get to meet someone who's been touched by the work of this church right here, come on. God is moving in big ways, and I'm so excited and thrilled to just be a part of it and uh, excited to bring the word to you today. Um, I have this haunting feeling that I've preached this message here before, and I, I don't think I have because I've gone through all of my notes, all of my everything. I actually keep a log of all the messages that I preach at every, because I, what I do is I travel around the country and, and preach, and so sometimes you preach some of the same messages, and you're like, wait, did I preach that here? So I've got this spreadsheet. I actually have a spreadsheet of what I wear at every place, so I don't like repeat outfits. And so, I'm just, so I, if I have preached this message here, I am so sorry, but maybe the Lord just knew that you needed to hear it again, all right? Um, I wanna talk about what it feels like when God feels silent in your life. You ever felt that before? You ever felt like God's not really on your timetable, you know? <laughs> Doesn't feel like he's usually ever on our timetable, does he? You know, I don't know if it's because, I, I, you know, I've been praying for things in my life, like patience. Do you know you're not supposed to pray for patience? <laughs> you know, God doesn't grow us up by just downloading certain attributes and characteristics on us, you know that, right? He like puts us in situations that grow those characteristics. You don't wanna pray for patience if you're having trouble with patience because he's just gonna deposit you in a situation where it requires patience to be grown in you and you're gonna get real frustrated. So I, I don't think I've been praying for patience, but I feel like that, that I've been in situations and seasons where it feels like God is trying my patience or where it doesn't seem like I'm hearing from him in the ways that I've heard from him before. You ever felt like that before? You know, you, you, you kind of learn some of this in life a little bit that other people don't operate on your timetable. You know, when, when, when I call a serviceman or a servicewoman to come to my house to, to work on something at my house, you ever done this before? You call a mechanic, you call a plumber, you call a, and, and, and they give you a, a window. You know what I mean? 
They're like, we're gonna be there sometime between 8 a.m. and 12 p.m., so conveniently stay home from work and we'll give you a courtesy call ahead of time. You ever, you know, you know what I'm talking about? I rem- I'll never forget doing this. So I had some sprinkler stuff going on. I know this is first world problems. I'm sorry, I get it, I understand. But my neighbors get, and our HOA gets a little bit frustrated when our grass turns brown. So they can send you these really mean notes. You know what I mean? They start finding you. And so I'm like, I gotta get my sprinklers taken care of. I gotta get this. So I call our sprinkler company and, uh, and I'm like, can you come out? And they're like, yeah, we'll give you a window. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, window, like, thanks. I, you know, unfortunately, I work for myself. Actually, I work for God. He's the best boss in the world. I just want you to know that. And uh, so I have some flexibility, but a lot of people don't. So I'm like, okay, fine, I'll be, at, I'll be at home between 8 and 12. And they don't show up at 8 a.m. when they give you the window, do they? They show up at like 11.59. And then you're there for several more hours while you're watching over, supervising whatever work they're doing. You know what I mean? And so I call this company. Now, they say that they're gonna give you a courtesy call ahead of time, 30 minutes, okay? I don't know if they forgot to be courteous that day or what, but I know, knowing I've got a a 30-minute window, I'm like, well, I'm a productive kind of guy. I wanna get some things done while I'm waiting, you know? So I'm gonna go around to run some errands five minutes from my house so that when they call, I have time to get back. I'm there to welcome them. And I get a call, I'm running to the post office, running to the bank, doing different things. I get a call and the, the service guy is like, hey, I'm, st- I'm outside of your house right now. I've rang the doorbell a few times. If you're not here in the next two minutes, I'm gonna have to leave. Now, this was in that season, like near, you know, around COVID, where it took six to eight months just to get on the calendar on someone, right? So here I am, I've waited six months to get on the calendar Now I'm waiting the entire duration. He shows up at 11.59, gives me a call. No, never mind the courtesy call. Says, if you're not here in two minutes, I'm gonna be, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm coming right now, I'm coming. So I book it home. I might have been going over the speed limit a little bit, okay? Just maybe, I'm sorry if you're a police officer in here, I just might have broken the law. And I get home and he's gone. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now, Right? So I left a really nasty Yelp review, and it, no, I didn't, I didn't, because I love Jesus, and that's just. But you ever feel like that when it comes to God? Where it's like, okay, God, I'm wait, like, I, like you're, there's some promises I feel like you've downloaded in my heart, some things you've told me, a situation going on, I'm asking, I'm calling on you, I'm wanting you to move, and, and so I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and it feels like God, and then it just, it feels like God shows up on his timetable, and then, and then we may or may not be ready for it, right? I was thinking about that in terms of how do we hear from God? What does it look like in the seasons that God seems to be completely silent, where he doesn't seem to be working and moving and speaking on our timetable? You, you've been there, maybe you're in that season right now. And, and what you've gotta understand about the Easter season is that there, there's a run-up, especially this week, where people are in ancient times, and Bible times, they were anticipating something. They were anticipating that there would be this king, there would be this Messiah that would come and break them free from the oppression of the Roman government. And for years and years and years, it seemed like God was completely silent. In fact, in fact, there's an actual part in our Bible where God was actually silent. Did you know that? There were 400 years leading up to the birth of Christ where God didn't speak to anybody, nobody. In fact, if you, if you take your Bibles, um, I'm gonna, I promise I'm gonna get to the Bible, like actually reading a passage here in a second, but I've gotta do a lot of work to give you some context. How many of you know that in order to understand the text, you gotta have context? Otherwise, you're gonna proof text and you'll extract, extract some things that, and try to extrapolate meaning from the text that, that, that's not really there. And so I wanna give you some context so that you can understand the text a little bit fuller. But if you take your Bible, I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but you open it up about two-thirds of the way through, the first two-thirds of the Bible is called the Old Testament. It's the Old Covenant. It's before Christ, okay? And, and there was... There was this, in this time, God would speak to people, but he spoke to people in isolated circumstances and to only a select few people during the Old Testament. He would come to prophets or he would come to kind of the forefathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he would speak directly to them. But the everyday common man could not hear from God directly. They had to have a mediator known as the, the priest or a prophet that would, that would speak to God 
on behalf of the people and would hear from God on behalf of the people. That was the Old Testament. But then in the New Testament, because Jesus did what he did on the cross, the finished work of Jesus provided for us that we could have now right relationship with God, that when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we now step into this moment and experience and encounter where our heart is regenerated, it comes alive, it is turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and now we are justified in front of God the Father just as if we had never sinned, if we trust Jesus with our salvation, Now he doesn't look at us and see our sin, the sin that separates us from God, but now he sees the finished work of Jesus, the blood of Christ, and so now we are forgiven, and then Jesus raises from the dead so that we could be, by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we could be set free and no longer live in bondage of sin. Come on, isn't that good news in here today? That that all takes place in the New Testament, the last third of your Bible, and in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends and comes into every believer so now, that, now he becomes the mediator, the helper, the comforter, the encourager where we can hear directly from God. So there, there is a split in our Bible. There is a period where God only spoke to certain people in isolated circumstances, and there's a period where God speaks to everybody. I need you to understand this very carefully. You can, believer, hear from God. You know that? You can hear from God. In fact, because we live in this context, this time frame of the, of the Bible, we live after Jesus' death and resurrection, God is not silent. Now, he seems silent, but sometimes he seems silent, not because he's silent, but because we're not postured to hear him. You know, God is always trying to speak to us. Sometimes we're just so busy, we've got so many beeps and dings and bleeps and tings and all the things that are distracting us that we don't hear from God. It's not that God's not speaking, it's that we're not postured, we don't create space enough to listen to God oftentimes. Or, or there's these other voices that we're listening to. God speaks in space, he, he moves in margins of our life. And so in order for us to hear from him, we have to pull back from things, we have to eliminate some clutter, we have to really posture ourselves to listen. Some of you are like, but I really wanna hear the audible voice of God. Wouldn't that be awesome to hear the audible voice of God just like many of our forefathers did? Listen, if you wanna hear the audible voice of God, take your Bible, read it out loud. <laughs> hear me? It's the audible voice of God. God will speak through a particular filter There's this particular parameters that God speaks to us these days, just to equip you really quickly and easily. How many of you guys have ever heard the Henry Blackerby Blackerby study, Experiencing God, right? Incredible study. I did it when I was in middle school. God speaks through his word, through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit always propping up and and, and aligning with God's word. God's spirit is never gonna speak contrary to God's word. You know that. So some, some people come to me like, well, I think God told me to do this. I'm like, well, that's actually contrary to God's word. I don't think that was the Holy Spirit. I think that was bad pizza you had last night. You need to reconsider that, right? So he speaks through the, God's word, the Holy Spirit, and then he also speaks through our circumstances. God will open doors and close doors. He will redirect through circumstances. Some of you, maybe you've lost a, a job recently, and you're going, God, where are you in all of this? And God's like, oh, I'm very much in this because this rejection is not rejection, it's redirection. I'm actually moving you into a different space. I've got something else for you. Anytime, anytime that God pulls you out or withholds something, it's because he's got something better for you. So you can lean into those circumstances just like the Israelites following the pillar of cloud by day, by day the pillar of fire by night, trusting him for, for daily manna. Come on, am I, am I, are you with me? So, so you've got God's word, the Holy Spirit, circumstances, but then you've got other godly people. Other godly people, namely the authority of the church and the church community, safe community, that you can buffer up against and you can use as a sounding board. Hey, I feel like God's telling me this. Can you tell me where there might be some holes in all of this? Can you, can you kind of help me as I'm processing through this? So, so that's how God speaks nowadays. But there was a period of time, friends, where God didn't speak at all to his people. And in my Bible, that period of time is one page. But it's, it represents 400 years where nobody heard from God. No prophet, no priest, no king, no person. Now, the question is today, what can we learn about what God was doing 
during the 400 years of silence that we can extrapolate principles from so that we can walk more informed during the seasons that God seems silent. You hear me? Because even though God was silent here, he was absolutely at work. Come on. And I, hear, I need you to hear me, that even though God seems silent in your life, and quite possibly he might be intentionally silent in your life, he is very active in your life. That seasons where God seems the most absent might actually be seasons he's the most active behind the scenes. So what can we learn about this waiting room where you're waiting to hear from God? Well, I wanna issue to you today that this waiting room may not be just a waiting room. It might be a couple of other rooms. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these rooms down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to <clears throat> write these rooms down. You're gonna, you're gonna need this for later because many of you, if you're not in a season right now, you're like, man, I'm hearing from God like crazy. Well, you're gonna get in that season, I promise you. You're gonna be in a season, right, where at some point where it doesn't feel like God's speaking to you. I want you to go back to these notes, put them away in your archives so you can draw from them later. The first thing I wanna issue to you today is that maybe it's not a waiting room in your life. Maybe it's a workroom. Maybe it's a workroom. How many teachers we have in the house today? Come on, teachers, let's go. Can we honor our teachers? I'm gonna tell you right now, I think that you have, I think that you have probably the most underappreciated, underpaid job in all of society today. Can I, can I just get an amen for that? Every one of us in this room can look back to a season in our life where we were marked and defined by a particular teacher that we had as we grew up. And, I, and I'm gonna tell you right now, I can look back and I know that I am the man today because of certain teachers that God put in my life. And so thank you for doing what you do. But I know if you're a teacher, you understand the workroom concept, don't you? You've got a project or an initiative that you want your, your, your students to do, but you can't go and get ready in your classroom necessarily, you've gotta go back to the workroom where all of the supplies and resources are to gather those supplies and resources so you can take them back to the classroom so that your students are ready to do the project that you want them to do, right? Maybe your waiting room is actually a workroom. Maybe God's doing something behind the scenes in a different room so he's gathering some supplies and materials for the life that he wants to build in you, come on, so he can bring that back to the classroom so he can instill that into you. Now what you've gotta understand about this 400 years of silence is we don't know anything inherently in scripture about what happened in these 400 years of silence, but we know a whole lot in history of what happened. And what I love about the Bible is the Bible is not just a sacred text, it's a sacred text that lines up with history. Come on, somebody. That history props up everything, all the truth that God's word has to say, history envelops it. History props it up. History confirms it. And so as we look at the 400 years of, of silence, what we have to do is we, look at, we have to look at history because there was something massively huge happening on the global scale during the 400 years of silence. Leading up to the 400 years, years of silence, there was a global superpower shift. We see at the very end of the Old Testament, we're shifting from Babylon to Persia to Greece. This is the global superpower shift that's happening leading up to the 400 years of silence. Now, Greece started as a little small nation state. It started under the command of this guy named Philip of Macedonia. This is Philip of Macedonia right here. I'm sure he had a nose, but I don't know what happened here. And Philip of Macedonia was able to align and unify all of the nation states of Greece into one nation. Now, when Philip of Macedonia was assassinated at an early age, his kingdom was inherited by his son. Maybe you've never heard of Philip of Macedonia, but maybe you've heard of Alexander the Great. Now, many of you have heard of Alexander the Great, and your history teachers tell you they have no problem with Alexander the Great being someone who is an actual figure in history, but did you know that we have more evidence that Jesus walked the earth, had a healing ministry, died on a physical cross, and was raised from a physical grave? We have more evidence of that than we do of Alexander the Great walking the earth? Come on, somebody. That Jesus is who he says he is, was who he says he was, and is doing what he says he's going to do. So you tell your history teacher that. Alexander the Great formed this army to conquer and, and to sack and to pillage the entire known land at the time. And he became a great and mighty leader. But when he was 33 years old, he became depressed. Interesting that it was at 33 years old. I know another figure that lived to be 33 years old. Alexander the Great at 33 years old became so depressed and he said this as he was drinking himself to death, he said this on his deathbed, there is no more land for me to conquer. And so I am completely depressed. 
Drinks himself to death at 33 years old. Can I tell you something just really quick? It doesn't matter how much you accomplish and conquer in this life. It doesn't matter what ladder you're climbing up. I would hate for you to get to the end of your life and realize you were climbing up the wrong ladder because you were doing the things that ultimately are not going to benefit the kingdom of God. You were building your own kingdom. I promise you that will always lead to an empty, hollow life. Serve someone else. Live for something bigger than yourself. Serve the Lord and build his kingdom and you will never experience those kinds of empty, hollow feelings of depression. Come on. Let's live outside of ourselves. Let's live outside. Let's live for something much bigger, right? Let's take cues from this. So before Alexander the Great drank himself to death, what he did is he decided in his will that he was gonna split the kingdom into four kingdoms. Now, while he was in power, he did something really profound. By early his predecessor, his dad, unifying the nation states of Greece, Alexander the Great then conquered all of this known territory and he set up a common language. The common language was known as Koine Greek. Say Koine Greek. Okay? So he sets up this common language so that everybody reads and writes and understands Koine Greek, all of the known world at that time. Now he dies, splits his kingdom into four kingdoms, and soon afterwards, there's a new nation that comes, a new empire that comes in sacks and pillages known as the Roman Empire. Have you heard of the Roman Empire, right? The sun never set on the Roman Empire. It was so vast, it was so huge, and they did two really powerful, profound things in this context this time in history. They, after they sacked everybody, they conquered everything, they set up what's called the Pax Romana, which means essentially world peace, Isn't that convenient? Hey, we're gonna conquer all of you and now nobody can fight, right? So now they control the entire known world with the Pax Romana. But what the Pax Romana did is it allowed for the ease of travel, safe passage into foreign territories, anybody over, or I'm sorry, under the Roman rule. So now they didn't have to go through these cumbersome custom processes like what we have to do when we go and do international travel. You could easily go from one nation to the next nation to the next nation under the Pax Romana. The, the, the second thing the Roman Empire did is they set up these Roman roads. It was an improved transportation system that nobody had seen to this day. They did this so they could move their troops, the Roman legions, from nation to nation to nation to make sure that they were guard, you know, keeping everybody um, uh, uh, under control and under their regime. Okay? Now, the Roman roads, many of you guys have heard this is a form of how to share the gospel, the Roman the Romans road, right? It's a play on words with that. Okay? Is everybody following with me? Have I preached this here before? Please assure me. Okay, praise God, thank you. So three things happened that were very pivotal in history to set up right here in this 400 years of silence. You had, let's summarize, take notes, a common language, Koine Greek. You have world peace and you have an improved transportation system, okay? This is what's happening in the workroom behind the scenes in the 400 years of silence. Now push pause on that, and let me ask you a question. Let me take a sampling. How many of you guys love Broadway? You like Broadway plays? Okay, I love Broadway. Why don't you yell out to me one of your, tell me your favorite Broadway play. Les Mis, phenomenal, right? Love Phantom of the Opera, come on. Come on, come on. You might try in another lifetime, I could go, right? Anything else? Fiddler on the Roof. I'm not gonna do Fiddler on the Roof. It's a good one, but I know. You know what my favorite one is? My favorite Broadway play is The Newsies. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? I love particularly the old Disney movie where Christian Bale kind of comes on the scene. When I was a kid, like, that was my life dream was to play the lead role of Jack in the Newsies. And I would walk around my house and I'd go, Santa Fe, are you there? Do you, right? I'm like, come on, I'm ready for a tryout, ready for an audition here. Here's what I love about Broadway plays. The writers of Broadway plays are incredibly brilliant. They do the same thing over and over. They have two acts, right? The first act, they do this buildup where they set up this massive tension in the plot, don't they? And then what happens? At the very end of that, you're like on edge, you're ready to see how it all resolves, and then they go, boom, curtain down, lights up, intermission, now it's time to go to the bathroom and get popcorn. And you're like, well, what happened? Like, how does this, how does this resolve itself? Like, how does, this, how does this untangle all of a sudden? So now you're excited to get back and And when you get back into the auditorium, you get back into the theater, they start act two. And when act two comes 
And it starts, the music starts, the lights come down, the curtain goes up, and the set design, the stage, is completely different. While you were in intermission, they had people behind the scenes setting the stage for the tension to resolve. Listen, friends. God is the greatest playwright of all time. You see, in the Old Testament, there's a tension that's set up. It's not set up necessarily intentionally by God, but he knew that it would happen. Because at the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, swapped the truth of God's word for a lie. In that moment, sin entered into the world and it fractured everything. And from the moment of Adam and Eve, there is this ever-increasing unraveling of the universe. And we live in the fallout of that. And the people of the Old Testament, God wooed them, God chased them, God pursued them. He made a people of his own and he set up this process that every single year they would sacrifice a lamb to resolve essentially and satisfy what was happening between God and man. But every year they'd have to sacrifice this lamb to bridge the gap to, for the forgiveness of sins of the people. And every family was required to do this and every family was required to go through all of these rituals and these customs and there was a tension that was set up with the people of the Old Testament where they would just over and every year they're longing for this thing to be resolved, longing for this thing to be resolved because it frustrated them so much. There was a law, there was God's standard that they knew they could not uphold. They could not be good enough to be made right before God. Can I tell you something, First Baptist Church? I don't care how good you are in your eyes. There is nothing you can do to be made right before God. There's no kind of pretense. There's no kind of perfection. There's no kind of white knuckling that you can do on your own to be made right before God. And then, silence. For 400 years, nobody hears from God. Year after year after year. The same thing over and over and over. And they're so frustrated. And then all of a sudden, a light comes on, a star in the sky. Curtain opens up. Because behind the scenes, God has been assembling pieces where there would be a common language, world peace, and ease of transportation throughout the known world. Setting up conditions so that this baby, come on, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed once and for all, that when he did to take the sin of the world away, the gospel, come on, could spread with ease and ripple throughout the known world. Koine Greek is the language that this original text was written in. Come on. All of the letters that Paul wrote to the early churches was written in the common language that was set up by Alexander the Great. The reason missionaries were able to travel with ease throughout the known world and spread the gospel, the good news of what Jesus had done on the cross and how he'd raised from the dead was because there was now world peace and they could go from nation to nation to nation without having to go through the cumbersome customs processes. There was ease of transportation because of the improved transportation system. The the conditions before Jesus, friends, were not conducive to the gospel being spread. But as Galatians tells us, come on, at the proper time, come on, when the fullness of time had come, God sends his son. He's setting up the scene behind the stage so when the curtain opens up, it's exactly the perfect conditions for the gospel to be spread throughout the known world. Maybe today God is setting up the scene in your life. Maybe today the reason he seems silent is because he's working behind the scenes to do something. You know why this encourages me? Because there's all this talk about all of these, this world superpower kind of shifting happening and all of this worry and all of this concern about who's gonna be sitting on this throne and who's gonna get into this presidency. And I'm looking at history and seeing that over and over and over throughout history, God has used good kings and bad kings, righteous kings and evil kings, different nations, different global superpowers to accomplish his plan, friends. No matter what king or president gets voted in, friends, God sits on the 
throne. King Jesus reigns. He always is in control. That should provide us with some assurance and some peace. Man, y'all gotta listen faster. We got some more rooms to work through, okay? Um, The next room is a break room. Maybe the waiting room God has you in is not a waiting room. Maybe it's a break room. Maybe the reason you're having trouble hearing from God is because you're too busy. And God's going, hey, I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna intentionally try to pull you back. I want you to rest. I want you to Sabbath. I want you to take some time. You know, Jesus often got up and he went alone to a deserted place so he could hear from the Father. Come on, if God, the Son of God has to get alone (laughs) to hear from the Father, how much more do you and I have to get alone? Let's go. We've got to pull back from all the busyness. You see, you and I were not built or meant to run at Mach 6 with our hair on fire. But our society tells us that busyness is a badge of honor and that your worth and your value is caught up in how much you can produce and what you can achieve. Can I tell you something? Your worth and your value is not caught up in that. Your worth and your value is caught up in the fact that you are a child of God, simply, and that's it. And there are some battles, there are some seasons of your life where God's saying, hey, you need only be still. Not by chariots, not by might, come on, but, but by the power of God. You need only be still and let me fight this battle for you. Pull back and rest, daughter, son. Just be still. You see, there are times that God will intentionally remove himself from us so that we pursue him deeper. Have you ever taught a child how to walk? Come on, isn't that fun? It's so fun to teach a child how to walk, isn't it? But, but, but if you look at it from an observer's perspective, like it could look kind of cruel, couldn't it? You think about this, when you teach a child how to walk, they're just starting to get their legs under them. You've got one parent who is over on one side that kind of braces the child. You've got another parent who's over there going, come on, come on, buddy, come on, come on. And when that child like finally takes a step, right? And he thinks that he's just gonna be able to fall into his father's arms right there. What, what do you do? What do you do? You go, how sadistic and cruel is that? Right? Well, what are you doing? You're trying to teach this child pursuit. Like, I, I, wanna, I wanna put some kind of a carrot on the end of the stick so that you can keep walking because I know that in order for you to strengthen your legs, you, you've gotta learn how to walk because ultimately, I, I want you to learn how to run. So ultimately, I want you to jump and play and laugh. But there's, some, there's strength that has to be formulated into this. And so C.S. Lewis says it's like a father who backs up when a child begins to learn how to walk, that God decidedly will back up from us sometimes so that we keep pursuing and chasing. And sometimes it takes seasons where God goes, whoop, I'm gonna back up. And all of a sudden you realize I'm in a desperate situation and he tries to peel back all of the clutter of your life so you can rest and pursue him. And once again, find your identity as a child of God. So maybe he's got you in a break room right now. Maybe he's going, I've got, what I've got for you requires you to be able to run, child. So right now I need you to rest because you're, you're too weak, you're, too, you're not strong enough. Or maybe it's a classroom. Maybe it's a classroom. Maybe he's trying to teach you something. You know, I've heard it said before that a lesson is repeated until the lesson is learned. That God will take us around in almost cyclical patterns where he's trying to continually teach us a lesson. Well, God's a kinesthetic teacher. He's an experiential teacher. He doesn't just tell us something because we're stiff-necked and hard-headed and we don't listen. We've got this right here and yet we don't listen. Well, then he sent his son Jesus to demonstrate something and there's, we still don't listen. We still have trouble trusting. So how is our faith built? Well, he takes us through seasons where we have to experience his faithfulness. We have to experience the lesson where he moves us in those seasons and he walks us in those seasons so that we can learn from experience. And as we put to 
as we put to trust God's word, the promises of God's word, we watch God show up in faithfulness. It builds our faith in him, and now we can live by faith, not by sight. This is why we often, come on, if every one of us could figure out, look, we have at least one vice, one thing that God keeps circling in our life, right? And it feels like we keep trying to learn this lesson, keep trying to learn this one lesson, right? Well, isn't this the children of Israel? They're wandering around circles in the wilderness because they were learning how to be not slaves, but sons, children of God. So they're getting to know God. Scripture tells us that he tested them in the wilderness, to see, there's a testing that happens to, to understand, for us to understand the genuineness of our faith. And so maybe he's got you in a classroom where he's trying to teach you something right now. And, 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 and my encouragement would be to lean in to listen. But the reason he's trying to teach you something is because often God doesn't show up and speak to us in the way we expect him to show up and speak to us. You hear me? The way that God shows up many times in our life is not the way we think he's going to show up. And so we have to be aware of who God is. The only way we can be aware of who God is and his character and nature is if we're in the classroom, so to speak, of life, learning, digging into God's word, who is God really, so I can be aware of when he's showing up in my life. This brings us to our passage today. Told you you'd have to listen faster. Because today, what are we celebrating? Palm Sunday. Jesus coming into the city. And there's a whole population of people in the ancient world at this time that completely missed it when Jesus came into the city. And you might be like, yeah, you know, all those people who were not, who were not part of the crowd that was waving the palm branches, those people, they got it, but the other people, they didn't. No, actually, I beg to differ. The people who were showing up waving the palm branches, they actually... They actually kind of missed it. This is what it says. It says in Matthew chapter 21, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, okay, in the Old Testament, when the prophets were foretelling the Messiah by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up by saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay, you ready for some more history? Because you gotta understand context if you're gonna understand the text. You see, at this time, this was during the, the festival of the Passover. Do you remember what the festival of the Passover was celebrating? It was celebrating the Jewish people, the Israelites, being freed from the domain and the oppression of this massive empire known as Egypt. So they would celebrate this every year, remembering how God brought them out from the oppression of this empire. Here in Jesus' time, you have the Israelites who were under the domain or oppression of what empire? Rome. So you've got a, a festival that's celebrating the God can free us from this, a people who have been waiting and yearning for a Messiah that would free them from the oppression of Rome, a military commander who would get them out of this this, this dire state as a nation, okay? And a Passover festival was, was all centered around four cups of wine. So you imagine this. Imagine the tension that could happen in Jerusalem as everyone converges on a city. All of the Jewish people converge on a city. They have a festival surrounded, that surrounds four cups of wine, okay? I don't know what you know about that, but you don't make great decisions with four cups of wine, okay? Their inhibitions are a little bit low, okay? Just saying. 
So you've got this Baptist church. See, if I was preaching at a Presbyterian church, they'd be laughing right now, okay? They're like, I don't know if we can. I'm just, I'm just giving you history right now, okay? <laughs> All right? So, so, you, so you imagine how tenuous this situation is every year. That's why Rome would send every year their symbol of might and strength into Jerusalem, they would get as many guards and as much army as they could to make a statement there that said, don't even try it. Don't even try it. I know that you right now are remembering how your God freed you from the oppression of this empire, but don't even try it. So there's a guy named Pontius Pilate. You've heard of him. He was their bulldog. Now Pontius Pilate lived in a city called Caesarea Maritime. I'm gonna actually show you a picture of the old... uh, no, that's not the picture. That's Jerusalem. Let's, let's go back to Caesarea. I know I'm skipping ahead, guys. I'm sorry. This is what Caesarea Maritime would have looked like. How many of you guys went to Israel with us back in 2018 with First Baptist? You visited this place, but this is kind of the blueprint of what it would look like. Here's the, if you remember, here's the uh, amphitheater that we saw, okay? And then this right here is the ruins of Herod's palace. Now, Herod built a palace in favor, for, uh, basically in honor of Caesar, That's why it's called Caesarea. And he did as much pomp and luxury as he possibly could in this area because he wanted to prop up Caesar. He wanted to make himself known as he's making Caesar known. So he did things like dug underground, underwater concrete. We still to this day have no idea how he did that. He built a freshwater pool in the middle of saltwater. We still to this day have no idea how he did that. There was just so much, just so much ostentatiousness and pride and arrogance in the building of Caesarea. Uh, Pontius Pilate would have lived in Caesarea, okay? But every year during Passover, he would have come into Jerusalem because he knew that this was a hotbed, a powder keg, okay? And so what he would do is he would, in a symbol of command, of strength, of might, he would mount a white horse and he would go from Caesarea and and Caesarea is to the west of Jerusalem, he would come in on the west gate of Jerusalem and enter with all of his army to show, don't even try it. See what I'm saying? Now, there's this prophet that's starting to gather a whole bunch of people and they're starting to talk that could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? And Jesus, he came in from Galilee, approaching the city from first, if you read the passage before, the Mount of Olives. This is taken from the Mount of Olives. And if we zoom in a little bit, I've got another picture we zoom in. You see that gate right there that's closed? That's the eastern gate. Jesus would have come in from the east. And he would have been riding a donkey. And a symbol of intentional, decided humility. Not on a white horse. You have these two images, friends, don't miss this, of might, of power, of empire, of strength, of fear-mongering, a motive motivated by fear and self-preservation. And then you have this other image coming in from the east of humility, of self-sacrifice. And you've got all of these people now waving palm branches. Palm branches were the symbol of a sect of Judaism known as the Zealots. The zealots believed that the Messiah was going to come in strength and in might and be a military conqueror. And they felt like it was their job to stay fit and ready to also fight beside the Messiah. So here's Jesus coming into the city on a donkey trying to make a statement, guys, my kingdom is not of this world. It's different. It's an upside down kingdom. It's not a kingdom that's marked by empire, by, by, by fear, by, by self-preservation, by, by lording over, by a hierarchy of strength. It is a kingdom that is marked by self-sacrifice. Here is the Lamb of God, many scholars believe, coming in on Lamb Selection Day of the Passover, coming into the city, and now you've got a whole bunch of people who are waving palm branches, the image of a zealot, the symbol of a zealot, which was actually pretty courageous of them if they had been caught waving palm branches by the Romans, they could have been crucified and at the very least put into prison. 
So you've got a bunch of people going, here's our king. Here's our military commander. He's coming in to make things right. He's coming in with force. He's coming in with power. He's coming in with might. And is that what Jesus did? No. He was like a lamb to the slaughter who sacrificed himself for the sake of humanity, which is why the very next passage you see Jesus weeping as he looks at Jerusalem. He says, you still don't get it. You still don't get it. Friends, God doesn't show up in our lives the way that we think he's gonna show up in our lives often. And that's why we miss it sometimes. Maybe this is a classroom where God's trying to peel back your understanding of who you think he is. And he's trying to give you a right understanding of who he really is. This is why you never arrive, friends. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, you always have a deeper understanding, a more fuller picture of God to be seen. That's why the text comes alive every time you dig in, every time you go to, the, go to church, every time someone opens it up, it, it's a new revelation. If you'll let him. Unfortunately, we get so stuck in our ways and so stuck in our patterns and so stuck in our dogma that often we forget to understand that, that Jesus is a living God. And he's got interaction with us that he wants to do in real time with us. Finally, the last classroom, or the last room that I think that we're in sometimes is a dark room. A dark room. You see, maybe there's something that God is trying to do and he's keeping you right now hidden by in some ways hiding himself. I don't know if you guys have ever done photography. Anybody ever done like real photography, like analog photography, where you take what's called a negative and you put it into a dark room and you take that negative through nine different chemical processes in order to bring it to light. Man, I could preach this all day long, but I don't have time. <laughs> you know, sometimes we want God to show up in our lives and poof, but often God has a lot of processes that he wants to take us through before he can really bring us to light, before he can reveal himself to us. He wants to take the negative of our life and he wants to take it through those processes to bring it to a positive so it can be a picture that shows the world something beautiful. If you bring that negative out into the light prematurely, it destroys the picture. It ruins it. Can I tell you something, friends? This is especially for the young person who's like, man, I just am waiting, I can't. If the light that shines on you is greater than the light that shines within you, it will destroy you. Your, your talent, your intelligence, your self-sufficiency, what you can produce and do on your own, Come on, it will take you certain places that your character can't sustain you. So perhaps the reason God is silent, perhaps the reason God is, is because he's wanting you to dig in in the dark where he can develop your character so when he brings you to the light, it's not gonna be a curse in your life, it's gonna be a blessing so that he can speak to you when he shows you, okay, this, is, this, this right here is what I have for you when he reveals that, when, he, when it unfolds, when the curtain comes back, it's, oh wow, this, okay, I'm ready for this now. You see, there's so many reasons that God might be silent in your life right now. Perhaps, perhaps you're not ready. Perhaps your heart's not tender. Perhaps the soil of your heart is not ready to receive the word that God has for your life. The direction he wants to point you in. Perhaps he's already given you some kind of direction or next step. Perhaps you've sat here in a service and he said, this is what I, this is what I want you to do. And you're going, well, okay, I hear you, God, but but I, but I wanna hear from you over here on this stuff. And God's like, I, okay, I can't show you this until you do this. Because your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It lights up the way right in front of you. He's not gonna show you what's down the road. And so maybe you're missing all of it because you don't understand the, the dark room nature of what God is wanting to do in your life. Where he's going, right now, do what I've asked you to do now. Man, I've run into people who have, for 20, 30 years, have neglected to do the thing that God has told them to do 
now. And so they felt stuck for 20 or 30 years. Man, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. Well, how do I know that's the thing? Well, because it's the thing that keeps coming up, that God keeps circling. The thing that you're trying to find freedom from, the stronghold that's trying to be broken right now. The addictive patterns, the mindset shift that needs that, whatever that is, man, you know it because you're feeling it right now. The Holy Spirit of God, I can trust him. I don't have to call out your circumstance. I can trust that he's bringing this to surface, bringing this to light, and God's putting his thumb right now on this thing that goes, hey, right here, we've just been circling this over and over and over and over. We've been circling this thing, and I want you to experience freedom and breakthrough, but this is the thing right here. This is that next step. I don't know what it is. It's always a trust step, though. It's trusting him with your finances, trusting him with your family, trusting him with your career, trusting him. It's always a trust step. So what do we do? Because I've given you a couple of rooms that you could be sitting in right now. I don't know your situation. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know which one. But I would encourage you to go home and over lunch to go, okay, as if I'm feeling this right now, which room could I possibly be in? Be introspective. Let God speak to you about this. Let him reveal this to you. Start asking that. So what do we do in these seasons? Well, you know, typically what I tend to do when I feel like God is being silent, I try to move ahead of him. I'm guilty of that. I'll make a decision or I'll go and I'll try to either control or manipulate or kind of to, to see this, this vision that I have, but it's not really a vision that God has. You there? Like, God, I'm waiting, waiting on you. Come on, let's go. How many of you know that <clears throat> typically in our lives, we're not, really, uh, we're not really waiting on God. A lot of times he's waiting on us. He's like, I, I mean, I'll bring it as soon as you, come on, just do the thing that I told you to do. So what I tend to do is I tend to strive. That's my propensity. If I'm being vulnerable with you, man, my propensity is to strive and manipulate and control when I can't hear from God. But some of you, your tendency is not to strive. Your tendency is to sit. You just wait. And you're just, and so you're, you're totally inactive. You're totally disengaged. You're like, well, and then you use spiritual language to justify it. Well, I'm just waiting on God. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up like wings, like eagles. And I'm waiting on God. You know, I, I wonder if that word wait, I wonder if we have it wrong. There's a couple of different things you can think of when you're talking about waiting. Sure, it could mean that we're kind of just sitting here inactive, disengaged, waiting on somebody. Or it could mean, like when you go to a restaurant and you've got someone that puts a towel over their arm and they wait on you. I wonder if Isaiah is really meaning, they that wait on the Lord. God, what do you need? How can I serve you? What have you asked me to do? What kind of commands? What's my marching orders? What's next? What am I, sub they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint because he who refreshes others, he himself is refreshed, come on. So maybe instead of our tendency being to strive and to work and to build ourselves into this frenetic activity and this worry and anxiety because we can't, instead of just sitting, maybe we should do something else. Maybe instead, friends, in the seasons where we're waiting on God, where we can't hear from him, what if instead, we should walk steady. So instead of striving, and instead of sitting, what if we just take one step at a time and we just walk steady? And as he tells us to do something, we take that step. And as he reveals something to us, we take that step. And we follow the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day, and we walk in this adventure where we go, I don't know the future, God, but I know that you got it, and I don't know exactly what this is gonna lead to, but I know that I can trust you, and I don't wanna go anywhere without you, and I don't wanna get ahead of you, so I'm just gonna walk steady, right in step, and while you walk steady, friends, he's gonna get you ready, 
And while he gets you ready and he's working behind the scenes and he's trying to assemble the pieces and make the, make the environment conducive, you walk steady. And while you're walking steady, he gets you ready. And you're steadfast and you're immovable and you're like Mary, come on, the virgin servant that was faithful and steadfast and knew that God would reveal himself in his time. When the fullness of time had come, that's who God showed up to first. Simeon, who was steadfast, who was true, who was faithful, who knew no matter what, if God shows up and speaks to me, I'm gonna be ready. But if he doesn't, I'm gonna be ready. And we just walk steady. And while we walk steady, God gets us ready. And while he gets us ready, we walk steady. And while we walk steady, God gets us ready. And before you know it, the curtains open up and he reveals himself in your life. And he now, <laughs> you're ready. I don't know about you, but this encourages me. It encourages me. And I just wonder if it encourages you too. So here's what I want to do. I just want to, my hope today was to just kind of create some aha moments for you and go, wow, I never saw it that way. So that now when you leave from here, your time with the Lord is richer. That's, what it, that's really what my hope is today. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna stand. I wanna pray over you. And perhaps today as you're wrestling through some of this stuff, maybe you need some prayer. Maybe you're in a situation where you're like, I, I, I'm lacking direction right now. I don't know what to do in this next season of my life. I don't know what to do with my, my kids or my career. Or, Man, some of you guys, you're like, and I'm, in a, I'm in a kind of twilight season of my life and I'm going, God, what is it that you have for? Do you still have a plan for me? Come on, you're not dead. God's not done. He's got something for you. Maybe today's a catalyst to just stop showing up and going through the motions or every single week doing the same thing. Maybe he's got a new mission, a new calling, a new ministry, a new thing for you to do in this season of your life. I don't know what it is, but maybe today you're like, man, I need to hear from God. And so would you, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just ask that you would, as we make space right now, would you just help us to hear from you? We wanna posture ourselves. We wanna eliminate the distractions and disruptions of our life so we can hear from you. We don't wanna miss it. We don't wanna misinterpret. We wanna see you for who you are. We want this divine revelation in our life so we can, we can really discern and know <laughs> who you are and what you're asking us to do and how you're asking us to make a difference in this world. So I pray for my brothers and sisters right now where they feel like you are just, you're far off and you're silent and they can't hear you, I pray that you would show them right now in this moment. Show them that you're here, that you love them, that you want relationship with them, that you want to give them direction. You want them to know your will for their life more than they do. Your word tells us, God, that if anybody lacks wisdom, he need only ask that you freely give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So God, right now, I just ask that you would show us what, what are we supposed to do as we follow after you? With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe there's never been a moment where you've actually entered into relationship with Jesus, where you've trusted him with your life. I'm not saying you've never said a, said a prayer. You've never, I'm, I'm saying you've never actually just yielded to him and trusted him giving your life to him. If that's you, I just, want, I just want right where you are, I want you to just say this. You can say it quietly, but I, I just believe it's a reflection of what's going on in your heart right now. I just want you to be sincere with it and say this to God. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I need you. And today I realize I need to surrender my life to you. I wanna be yours. I want you to be mine. I want you to take this sin away. Take this shame away. Take this guilt away. Take this pain away. I don't wanna be separated from you anymore. I wanna trust in you. Believe what you did for me on the cross, that you raised from the dead, and I ask that you would put your spirit inside of me. Make me a new person, a new creation. 
today, I've decided I wanna follow after you. When you seem silent and when you are loud, I wanna follow after you. In your name I pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't want anybody looking. I just wanna know, did you, did you just pray that with me to receive Christ? Would you put your hand up in the air? Just put it up. You can put it right back down. Amen. 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 Let me see. Let me see. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. We're gonna have some folks down here in the front as always. And if you wanna receive prayer right after this service or if you, if you wanna know what, what, what's my next step after praying that prayer to receive Christ, I, we would love to help you with that. God, I just ask right now that you would do whatever business you need to do in our lives, that man, we would walk out of here this week and we would be a different people, that we would look in, as we peer into Holy Week, as we interact with other people, as we anticipate and get ready for the service on Friday and for Easter Sunday as we celebrate you. I pray that we would, we would see you in a different way and that maybe for the first time in a long time, we'd hear from you, we'd sense you, we'd feel you, we would know that you are with us, that you're walking with us and that you have not left us or abandoned us and that you have have good plans for your kids. Would you show us that, God, this week? We give you praise. We thank you. And we ask all these things in your holy and precious name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Can we just give God a praise for what he's done in here today? Amen, amen. We're gonna have a prayer team up here if you wanna come and receive prayer. Maybe just someone to put your, their hand over you and encourage you, pray some specific direction or vision in your life over you. And uh, if you pray to receive Christ, I'd love to meet you. I'd love for you to come down here and pray with us as well. I love you guys. We'll see you next week at Easter.